Good morning. So I'm going to be reading Exodus 14, 5 through 31. When the, whoop, right. Hello? Okay. Hello. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariots and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them. All Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army and overtook them and camped at sea at Pi-Haharoth in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, they said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is, is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would, be, it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent." Then the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. The people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground, and I will harden the heart of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots, and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over, the Pharaoh, over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went, behind, and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land. And the waters were divided, and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watched the Lord in the, in the, morning, watched the Lord in the pillar of fire in the cloud of look down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic clogging their chariots, wheels, so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course, and the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into, the, into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and they covered the chariots and the horsemen, all the hosts of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one had remained, but the people of Israel walked on dry land through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hands of the Egyptians, 
And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the power of the Lord using against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Thanks, Eric. Isn't it great just to hear the word read in extended form? Isn't that great? You know, kind of in a, in a culture where we often kind of break it up into sound bites or um, devotionals or things like that, which are all wonderful gifts, it's just really good to just hear the, just hear the word, because that's what we're about this morning. It's not about what, what I say, it's really about what, what God has already said. Well, uh, good morning. Like Eric said, we're in Exodus 14 this morning, and I'm trying to get my notes to not blow away. The fans are very effective. I think it's actually the window. Well, what I want to do today is I want to look at this passage at Exodus 14, 5 through 31. I want to look at it by asking four different questions. And the reason I want to ask these questions is because, you know, a lot of times, I don't know if you have this experience or not, but, but I definitely do. That, have you ever had this before where you, you read the Bible or you listen to a sermon and then you just feel really good about yourself because you learned something? Ever felt that way before? And like, man, I, you know, I, I didn't know that, you know, I did, I'd never heard of, of Pi Haharoth before. Now I, now I do. I feel really smart. Or, or maybe you feel like, okay, I've, I've done this. I've checked this box for the day. You know, I've, I've done my Bible reading, so it's going to be a good day. My meeting's going to go well, or it's kind of my, my good luck charm, my, my little rabbit's foot. You know what I mean? But, but, but really, when we read the word, it's supposed to, the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy that all scripture is helpful for us to live as disciples of Jesus. And so what we want, we don't want to just kind of walk away from this time feeling like, man, that was a good sermon. I don't remember anything he said, but that was a good sermon. And we don't want to walk away either saying, man, I feel so much smarter you know, next time in Sunday school when, or life group, when somebody asks a question about Exodus 14, I mean, I'm just ready to go. I, people are going to really think I'm smart. That's not what we want. We want to walk away feeling more equipped to live as disciples of Jesus tomorrow. Whether we're, we're folding clothes, whether we're making dinner, whether we're going to a meeting, whether we're taking care of kids, whatever we're doing. And I really think that these four questions that we're going to talk about today, if we can learn to ask these four questions when we study the Bible, I think it really helps us to, to do that. So I encourage you to write these down, because again, I think you can use these, especially, it's especially helpful in the Old Testament. Uh, but it's helpful throughout any passage of scripture, whenever you're reading the Bible, to ask these four different questions, and it'll help us know, what does this tell me about how I can live more effectively as a disciple of, of Jesus? So these four questions are, number one, what does this passage teach us about God? What do we learn about God from this passage? The second question is, how is my situation today in 2021 in Cary, North Carolina, or Holly Springs, North Carolina, or Apex, North Carolina, or wherever you are, how is my situation similar to the situation that's being described in this passage? Number three, how is my situation today in my family, in my community in 2021, how is it different from the situation 
being described in this passage. And then finally, number four, as a result, what should I do? As a result of reading this passage, what should I do? Okay, so we're just going to look at these one at a time. First of all, what do we learn from this passage about God? Because ultimately, it's not about us, it's about God, right? So what do we learn from this passage about God? Well, I want you to look with me at chapter 14, Exodus 14, verse 13. Look with me there real quick. So Exodus 14, 13. So the Israelites, they've escaped out of Egypt. They're real happy. And they've gotten to this point where they're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. Right, you know they've they're there's this kind of there's this kind of ragtag band of of men and women and children and you know little kids and, and and old folks and you know they've got their they've got their their cows and their their livestock with them they're carrying all their possessions so they're not exactly ready to fight right and, and God leads them right to this to to the Red Sea right up against this giant body of water that they can't go around they can't swim through it. And then the Egyptians are, are bearing down on them. You've got, so you've got, in front of you, you've got a sea. And then behind you, you've got, at the time, what was probably the most advanced, most powerful army in the world that's, that's coming to try, to try to try to get you. So what are you going to do? Well, they're, they're really afraid. And this is what Moses says to him in verse 13. He says, and Moses said to the people, fear not and stand firm. And see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. I want everybody, I have no idea if this is going to work or not. I want everybody to turn to the person next to you. Tom, this is your chance to say amen. Thank you, Tom. Everybody turn to the person next to you and say, the Lord will fight for you. The Lord will fight for you. Is that weird? Should we ever do that again? Sure. Maybe? Okay. <laughs> the Lord will fight for you. And then again, in chapter 15, if you skip ahead to 15 verse 3, when the people of Israel, they're singing a song celebrating God saving them. This is what they say in verse three. They say, the Lord is a man of war. Some translations might say, the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. So what do we learn about God from this passage? Well, we learn that the Lord is a warrior. What does it mean to be a warrior? A warrior is somebody who destroys his enemies. Just like God, he destroyed the, the Egyptians. He threw them, he drowned them in the, in the Red Sea. And a warrior is also somebody who destroys his enemies and who also who saves his people. Okay, so what do we learn about God from this passage? The Lord is a warrior. He destroys his enemies and he saves his people. All right, so number two, how is my situation today in 2021, living in Apex, North Carolina, for me, how is my situation today similar to the passage or to the situation that's being described in Exodus 14? Well, two things here. Number one, God is still God. Okay, God is still God. The main character of this passage is not Moses, it's not Pharaoh, it's God. And the main character of this passage is the main character of, of our story today as well, right? 
And you know, it's really popular today to, to say, well, you know, the God of the Old Testament, he was, he was, the God of the Old Testament was a warrior, right? He's throwing people into the sea and he's got wrath and all this stuff. But the God of the New Testament is kind of more like, he's kind of more like a social worker, right? The God of the Old Testament, he's, he's, he's angry and he's, he's a warrior, but the God of the New Testament is, is, is loving. And the truth is, you know, the Bible tells us God doesn't change, that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So if God was a warrior then, he's a warrior now, right? And the truth is, I got two amens. Wow, this is amazing. Keep them coming. <laughs> um, the, the truth is that... Um, the truth is that if you look at the Old Testament about what it says about God, it says that God, sometimes it describes God as a warrior who's drowning his enemies, all of them, with their chariots in, in the sea. But it also describes God sometimes as a mother who nurses her infant at her breast, right? And if you look at the New Testament, we see descriptions of God as, as a loving father, we see Jesus being very tender with people. We see Jesus playing with children. But we also see Jesus as a warrior. We also see Jesus disarming Satan and putting him to an open shame. Right? So the truth is that the, the God of the New Testament and the God of the Old Testament is both loving and he's also a warrior. Okay? That's one thing that's still the same. Another thing that's still the same about my situation today and the situation in this passage is that we are God's people, right? This is a story in Exodus 14 about, about God saving his people by destroying his enemies. And just like, you know, I, I'm not Jewish and likely most of us here today aren't, aren't Jewish either, but if you are, that's great. Um, but, but we're still God's people if we believe in Jesus, right? So God is a warrior, he's still a warrior, and just like he fought for his people back then, he will fight for us today to save us, to rescue us, and to destroy our enemies, just like he destroyed the enemies of his people, the Israelites, back then. Okay, so third question. How is my situation today, how is it different from the situation that's described in this passage? Well, I wanna say two things about this. First of all, and this is really important. And I think this is something that we know, but we kind of know it in our head, but not in our heart. We know it with what we might say, but not so much with our emotions, if that makes sense. The, the first thing that I really want to point out, a way that our situation today is different from the situation back then in Exodus 14, is that our enemy is not the Egyptians. In fact, our enemy is not a human enemy. Right? Ephesians 6 tells us that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against, against Satan and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So our enemy is not a human, a human being, no matter what types of bad things we see people doing around us or to us even, our enemy is Satan. Now, I would guess a lot of us would say, okay, we, we know that. We, we've all heard you know, sermons about the armor of God and about Satan and, and stuff like that. But, but I wonder, do we really feel that in our heart? Let me ask you this question. What are the, if you're like me, you, you're really good at identifying threats. You know what I mean? 
kind of thinking about threats to your country or to your family or to yourself or to your job or, or whatever, what types of threats have you been most acutely aware of this week? Are the threats that you're, you spend the most time thinking about, are they threats from people or are they threats from Satan? Because I know, I think a lot of us would say, you know, well, who, who's your enemy? Well, my, yeah, my enemy's, my enemy's Satan. My enemy is, is all the spiritual forces that are trying to, to prevent me from following Jesus. But are you more concerned about Satan or are you more concerned about AOC? Are you more, I didn't think you were going to hear AOC mention the sermon, did you? <laughs> we have two amens, we have three amens and a, and a reference to AOC. This is really going well. Are you more concerned about Satan or are you more concerned about Trump supporters? Right? Because if we really do believe that our enemy is Satan, then we need to be aware of his threats, of the ways that he's trying to attack us so that we can be prepared. And Satan, we'll talk more about this in a second, but Satan, you know, there's a sense in which God has already defeated Satan. I, I remember hearing it this way by a, a Christian author, I believe it was Neil Anderson that said this in a really good book he wrote about spiritual warfare. He says, Satan has been defeated and all authority, all power on heaven and on earth have been given to God, have been given to Jesus. So the battle against Satan is not a battle for power, because Jesus has all the power. It's a battle for truth. It's not a battle for power, it's a battle for truth. Satan can't do anything to me or to you without God allowing it, but what he can do is he can lie to us. He can lie to us to try to deceive us. Remember how we said a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago now, that our hearts are tricky? Our hearts are kind of like scam artists? Well, Satan is the ultimate scam artist. He's trying to trick us, to lie to us, to get us to believe lies instead of trusting in God, right? So that's the first reason, that's the first way, that's one of, of the multiple ways that our situation today is a little bit different from the situation back then, and we need to recognize that, right? A, a second way is that today, God is not in the pillar of fire, he's inside of me. Okay, God's not in the pillar of fire, he's inside of me. And he's inside of you if you trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior through the power of the, of the Holy Spirit. He's not, inside, he's not out there in a pillar of fire somewhere. He's not on Mount Sinai. He's not, I mean, he is, but, you know, he's, he's, where, is he, where is he most active? Well, inside of me. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us, Right? And as we're going to see in a second, there's a sense in which back then in Exodus 14, what does Moses say to the people? He says, the Lord is going to fight for you, so you just be silent and watch. Isn't that cool? There's a sense in which that's still completely true, but there's a sense in which at, back then, God, and God was in, the, he, he was in the, the pillar of fire. He was in the pillar of cloud. He was in the tabernacle. He was on the mountain, right? There's a sense in which it was kind of like, watch what the Lord is going to do for you. Okay, watch what the Lord is going to do for you. And there's a sense in which today, because God isn't just out there in the pillar of fire, which again, back then, that was amazing. Man, we can see where God is. God is so close to us. But today it's even better. He's not just on the mountain, he's inside of us. And so there's a sense in which today it's not just 
be silent and watch what God does for you. It's walk with Jesus and watch what he does through you. It's not just watch what he does for you, it's watch what he does through you. He gives you a chance to participate in, in the battle. It's, the battle is still his, all the power still comes from him, but he gives us a chance to participate. Well, let me, um, what should we do? What should we do? So we, we talked about, we talked about what does this say about God? He's a warrior. He destroys his enemies and saves his people. How are we similar? Well, we are God's people, so he will fight for us against our enemies and his enemies, just like he did for his people back then. Well, how, are we, how is this different today than it was back then? Well, our battle isn't against the Egyptians or against the liberals or against the right-wingers or, or against, you know, that person in my family that's, that's, that's really mean to me. Our battle is against, uh, against Satan. And so God is going to destroy Satan just like he destroyed the, the, the Egyptians. So what should we do? What should our response be? What should your, how should this affect your drive to work tomorrow? How should this affect your conversations with your kids tomorrow? Well, I, I want to, so we said before that Satan, the battle with Satan is not a battle for power because that's already been decided. It's a battle for what? It's a battle for truth. And Satan comes at us with his lies. And, you know, Satan, he's, he's really... It's, it's so tricky because he doesn't just, he doesn't care how comfortable we are. Okay, he doesn't care if you're a multimillionaire living in your dream house with a healthy family or if you're, you know, depressed and living in poverty and, and sick. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't care how comfortable or how quote unquote happy you are as long as you're not following Jesus. So Satan's tactic is to lie to you, to lie to us, to try to prevent you from trusting, loving, and obeying Jesus. And if he can do that by puffing you up and making you think that you're, you're a good person on your own and look at all the good things that I do, look at all, look at all this that I, my hard work has given me, you know, if, uh, other people, their problem is they don't work hard like I do. If he can puff you up, to make you think you don't need Jesus, and if everybody just listened to you more, then the world would be a better place, then he wins. If he li- but also, if he, if he lies to you by tearing you down and making you think you're a piece of crap and you can't do anything right and the world would be, would be a better place without you here, then he wins too. So he doesn't care. And it's, it's, kind, of like, it's kind of like judo. Anybody know no, I'm talking about with judo, where it's like you use the, the person's body weight against them, use their momentum against, against them. So if you're already going towards depression, Satan can, you know, he can, he can play with that. If you're going towards pride and arrogance, he can play with that too. But he uses his lies to keep us from trusting, loving, and obeying Jesus. So, so what should we do? I mentioned before that because God is working not only for us, he's not only fighting for us, he's fighting through us, that we get to participate in a way that is maybe a little bit similar to, it's a little bit different from the Israelites. They're just kind of sitting and watching. It's a little bit similar to Moses, right? He's the one, and again, think about this. If you're Moses, um, God says to Moses, he says, why don't you just go and part the Red Sea? <laughs> why don't you just go part the Red Sea? Why don't you take, why don't you take your stick? Why don't you take that stick 
and go, why don't you take your stick and just go hold it over, hold it over the Red Sea and part the Red Sea. And again, I'm just imagining if I'm Moses, I'm sitting there, you know, with this giant army bearing down on me and the people were getting ready to mutiny and I'm kind of like, okay, okay, I've got my... If this doesn't work, I'm going to look, this is one of the, I guess not the first time, but this is one of many times where Moses has got to be thinking, if this doesn't work, I'm going to look really stupid and I'm probably going to die. <laughs> but, but God, he said, it, it reminds me a little bit of the way when the people are hungry and Jesus says, bring me the five loaves and the two fish. <laughs> Why don't you bring, bring me your lunch? It reminds me a little bit of, of when Jesus, he says to his disciples, why don't you give them something to eat? There's something in the heart of God where he wants, we talked about this a few weeks ago, that he created us to be in partnership with him, right? So he wants us to be able to fight alongside him. All the power comes from him, but he allows us to participate. Well, how do we do that? Well, what does it mean for us to hold our stick out over the water and trust that God is going to fight through us? Well, I encourage you to ask two questions. And those two questions are, number one, what lies am I hearing or believing right now? What, because remember, Satan, he doesn't, he, he's probably not gonna, I mean, he does sometimes maybe, but he's usually not gonna, you know, strike you down with, with COVID or, or, or with, you know, some terror. That's usually typically not the way he, he attacks us. He usually attacks us with his lies. So what lies am I hearing or believing right now? And what is the truth from God's word that counteracts that lie? Let me give you a couple examples for me. You know, there's times, and again, I don't know if you can relate to this or not. Maybe some people can, some people can't. But there's sometimes that I just feel like a failure. You ever feel like a failure? And it's like Satan tell, is telling me, like, you can't do anything right. You, you're, you're so, you, you, you messed that up so bad. You're, you're just a failure. You're good for nothing. And when Satan says that to me, you know, I, I don't just kind of put my hands over my ears and run away crying or just go, go and try to, I don't know. I, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to stand firm and fight back through the power of the Holy Spirit. Just like Moses takes out his stick and holds it over the water, we take out the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and we respond to him. So when Satan tells me I'm a failure, I tell him, Ephesians 2.10, that I am God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for me to walk in. There's other times when things are going well. And again, remember, Satan doesn't care if he has to tear us down or if he has to puff us up. But other times when things are going well, and Satan says, man, Ryan, that was, such, that was you just nailed that. That was, you, you got four amens this morning. That was amazing. <laughs> you got six amens this morning. You're helping Satan, Laird. Stop helping Satan. And, and, and he says, man, you're, the, you're, you're awesome. And he, try, he tries to puff me up. And when he lies to me that way, I say to him, John 15, 5, that apart from him, I can do nothing. And also John three thirty, which says that he, that is Jesus, must increase and I must decrease. You know, sometimes when I see something, 
you know, maybe it's a, a nice house, a house that's nicer than mine, or I see somebody who seems to be more successful than me, and Satan says, Satan says, Ryan, you ha- that's what you need right there. Or, or maybe it's something when I'm, I'm scrolling on my phone and then I, I see a, you know, a, an ad pop up with, with something kind of sensual or, or something tempting, and Satan says, Ryan, that's, that's what you need right now. You need that, you'll be happy if you have that. And when Satan lies to me that way, I tell him, Philippians 4.11, that I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And specifically, if it's a sexual temptation, I tell Satan that my body is, my body is for the Lord. My body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. So I will give my body to the Lord, not, for, not to sexual immorality. 1 Corinthians 6.13. You know, a couple weeks ago, I gave you all the challenge to, and Aaron talked about this a little bit, to choose three people. Three people in your life that you, that you don't know, or <laughs> three people not that you know, that you don't know if they're a Christian or maybe you know. I said this in a really bad way. So choose three people that either they're not Christians or you're not sure if they're Christians or not. They could be neighbors, they could be friends, they could be family, whatever, and just start to pray for them. And I know for some of us that's intimidating, but if we start talking about actually, you know, inviting them over for dinner, maybe sharing our testimony with them, that's really intimidating, right? And there's times when, when I feel, I just, I, Satan tells me, you know, Ryan, if you, if you talk to that family member or that neighbor or whoever about, about Jesus, they're not going to listen to you. You know, you, they're not going to listen to your story. They're not going to believe anything that you say. You just shouldn't bother. When Satan lies to me like that, I tell him, Acts 1.8, which is a promise that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then you will be my witnesses to the end of the earth. So I'd encourage you to spend, you know, spend, a, spend a few minutes this afternoon, um, maybe next time you get together with some, some Christian friends with your life group, or maybe talk about this with your kids or with your, your spouse. What are some lies that you're believing and then what is a truth from God's word that contradicts that lie, that counteracts that lie? And then use, then memorize those verses. And then next time you start hearing that voice, next time you start thinking those lies, then fight back and take out the sword of the spirit. Just like Moses took out a staff and held it over the water. Take, take out the sword of the spirit and, and attack Satan with it and, and he'll, he'll run away. And just watch what the Lord does. Watch the way he fights for you and through you through his word. Well, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for giving us your word. And I thank you for giving us your spirit. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters here. God, you know how Satan is trying to attack each and every one of them this morning. You know who he's trying to lie to to puff up, and you know who he's trying to lie to to tear down. And God, I pray that you would expose those lies. I pray that as we think, that as, as we ask you to show us what lies we're believing, that, we, that you would. And God, we thank you for your word, that it's living and active, and sharper than any two-edged sword. 
And so I just pray for my brothers and sisters here that you would equip them through the power of the Holy Spirit to, to fight back against Satan and his schemes. And we just trust that you are going to rescue us and destroy your enemies today the same way you did back then. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.